Good afternoon, beautiful people. I'm keeping all my content free of charge so there's complete transparency so everyone can get the benefit of all the information. This is a completely independent podcast, but any monetary support is greatly appreciated. Click the support this podcast link at the end of the episode description for more details. Now back to the show. Good afternoon, beautiful people. Welcome to episode 17 of Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. I'm in the presence of a very special guest this afternoon. He's my second repeat guest, Spike Cohen. You all probably know who he is. Going to give a very brief introduction. I'm not going to give him just these flowers like the first time because no one knew who he was (laughs) in my audience. But he's all over YouTube. He's all over social media. Um, He's a libertarian activist. He was the vice presidential nomination. Um, candidate for the 2020 general presidential election. He's um, been kind enough to join us again a second time around. We're going to talk maybe a little bit briefly about We Are the Power in case some of my listeners don't know exactly what that is, just for clarification purposes. We'll talk some more about his activism work. Welcome to the show again, and thanks for accepting that invitation. I'm happy to be on, Kiko. uh, I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, the one announcement I want to make um, from the last interview I did is technically not breaking news, but just for people to get reiteration purposes, uh, Kiko's Freethinkers Forum is within the top 5% globally when it comes to downloads and shares from international audiences. So we really appreciate nice. the listenership and the viewership. Um, we have over 23 different countries present as far as our audience and my goal, again, as I said in the last pod episode, is to get to 100 different countries next year. Um, it, my only goal is to spread information so people can draw their own conclusions, become more educated, informed about the world around them. I think a lot of the manipulation that we see on TV programming is um, that's something I want to go against. I want to go against clickbait. I want to go against yeah. trying to enhance views just uh, from other personalities and stuff and really focus and hone in on issues. That's what I'm all about as an educator. So I think that sort of shines through into the interviews as well. Um, Spike is a straight shooter, just like I am. And I like that about him. In case um, some of the audience members don't know, he's hails from Maryland originally, but now you live in South Carolina, you're based there. Yeah. And I bring that up because I was watching some interviews of yours and you talk a lot about um, issues with third parties. Obviously, you represent mm-hmm. a third party platform yourself and just independent people in general. Um, what are some of the issues, the the immediate issues that a third party person or an independent faces, not only at a national level, but even at local level and state level? So there's two main, I'd categorize them into two main categories. One are the structural problems, the the legal problems. So Republicans and Democrats, there there are two main things they agree on. Number one is that every day is is a great new day to screw over the American people more than they ever have before. They work together great on that one. It's time for corporate welfare. Uh, new wars, new laws, more debt, more spending. They, they pretty much are always in lockstep there. They're usually arguing over how much more of that they can do. Um, and the other thing they agree on is no one else should be able to really be able to compete against them. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, with ballot access laws, with signature requirements, with, with everything else that they have in place, uh, it makes it very, very hard to run 
uh, at all, even just to even get on the ballot. I'll give the, one of the most extreme examples is in uh, Tennessee. In Tennessee, um, if you want to run as a Republican or Democrat for any office, uh, you have to get, I believe it's 25 signatures. And that makes sense, right? Because otherwise, if, if anyone who said I'm running could just be on the ballot, it'd be like a phone book, right? Like it, it would, you know, they want to show that you can get 25 people to sign something and there's some minimal processing fee to pay. That makes sense. Okay, I get that. If you want to run as a libertarian or any other third party candidate, you have to get 50,000 signatures. And like because any office. any office, and if you uh, run even an office where there aren't 50,000 people, you have to get 50,000 signatures. Now, yeah. keep in mind now, also, it's even worse than that, because uh, historically, uh, you have to double that number because the uh, the people that are in charge of verifying those signatures are all people appointed by Republicans and Democrats. So mm -hmm. they look for any excuse they can. And, and what they like to do is they'll go, oh, this signature, uh, this zip code was done wrong or they neglected to put this there. So we're just going to invalidate the whole the whole petition that with and all the signatures on it. So you really have to go in with double the signatures. And there's all sorts of ridiculous restrictions like that. So that's the structural stuff. But. What I think is an even bigger problem, even if we had full ballot access, even if we had things like ranked choice voting, even if we had everything, if the, if the playing field uh, from a structural standpoint, from a legal and, and ballot and structural standpoint was completely even, we would still have to deal with the cultural problem. We have to deal with mm -hmm. the fact that the average American thinks that there are two parties to choose from. And if you run outside of those two parties, then you're a fool and you're not going to win. And, you know, all you're doing is taking votes away from the other two who are going to win. And so that means they need to spend all of their time figuring out which of these two candidates is the lesser evil. And that's mm -hmm. the main thing. Long after we've dealt with ballot, in fact, actually before we deal with ballot access laws or any of that stuff, we need to deal with the fact that the average American just doesn't think that voting third party or independent is viable. And that's actually why I started You Were the Power, um, because we need to show people long before they start making decisions about who to vote for, we need to show them that our solutions work so that they, they realize that this is all they want. They don't want whatever the Republicans and Democrats are selling them, all they want is more liberty. All they want is more mm -hmm. control over their own lives. All they want is for all the power that's being put in the hands of too few people to be put back in their hands where it always belonged. And when we change that from a cultural level, now the conversation goes from being, I don't know if you're going to win to, I don't care if you win, this is all that I want. I want freedom, I want liberty. You mentioned we are the power. So how does we are the power, how does that tie into um ballot access um optimization does, does that have anything to do with that directly yeah so it it, it doesn't uh, you are the power is a, a nonpartisan nonprofit. we do not get involved in electoral politics we recognize that all politics are downstream of culture you have to affect people in their communities at an individual and community level to show them how our ideas even work in the first place. See, right now we have the opposite problem. We have a culture of dependency on government, of fear of government, of feeling of powerlessness, of people whenever they see a major problem going, wow, that's way too big for me. Uh, I hope the government fixes this and I hope everyone listens to them. And we have this thing where even though, and it's, it's this weird uh, cognitive dissonance in our society, where even though I think the most recent polls showed that like 90% of 
Americans believe that America is headed in the wrong direction. Uh, mm -hmm. Even though 90, so that means, you know, close to nine out of 10 Americans recognize things are, are wrong. The problem is they think that the problem is roughly one half of the ruling class, this party or this party. Mm -hmm. And they think that the only way that they can fix the problems caused by one half of the ruling class is with the other half of the ruling class. <laughs> and and, and the, it sounds silly when you say it that way, but they legit think that that's the only way to do it. We mm -hmm. have to change that mindset, not just the whole which party you're voting for thing, but more importantly than that, because right now, if a, if a Republican wins, if a Democrat wins, if a Libertarian Green Party, whatever wins, the people demand less power, less control, and less ability to make decisions for their lives because they've been told that they can't be trusted, that the higher-ups in government can do it better than them. And even though they know all evidence is to the contrary of that, that's just what they've been conditioned from very, very early on. We have to break that conditioning or we're not going to get anywhere. And, and honestly, what that ends up resulting in, when people recognize that the problem is that power is too centralized mm -hmm. and that the solution is to decentralize that power and give them and their communities more control over their day-to-day -day lives, whether we're talking about schooling, whether we're talking about uh, uh, public safety, whether we're talking about healthcare, whether we're talking about any, any subject that you can think of, infrastructure, anything, anything that you can think of, until they realize that that is the best way forward is for them to have that power. We're just playing a bunch of dumb games and we're not going to get anywhere. And once they do realize that, then we're in the opposite situation where it doesn't matter whether a libertarian gets elected, a Republican or a Democrat, because the people are going to demand freedom. If they don't get it from that candidate, they'll get it from the next one when they replace them. So I assume that that will help the Libertarian Party. But honestly, for me, it's more about building the culture. We've got to open people's consciousness to the fact that this isn't working and why it's not working. Mm -hmm. Well, I 100% share your sentiment on building a culture of uh, it is definitely a psychological struggle. That's the beginning before yep. you said any sort of valid access and all this reform that people keep yep, talking yep. about. The reform has to start with the mind. And um, mm -hmm. And it takes a long time. I'm, I was telling John Stasevich, um, he's an independent, he's running for president of the United States in 2024, the last mm -hmm. interview. And I was telling him when I was 20 years old, my mindset was completely different than I am now when I'm 40. Yep. I really believed that I was on a winning team, that I was on the moral team, <laughs> just yep. everything, you know, and it just, it, it takes so many generational. Um, I think I think that's what it is. They play on generational changeover a lot. Because you notice in the mainstream, every election cycle, they always talk about the young people, the young people, and this and that. But they always associate the young people with one side of the ruling class. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then they just drill it in your head. And then young people are probably thinking, oh, well, if I'm a young person, I need to support. I have to support that. And, and, and we see a narrative that happens there, right? White people are this. Black people mm -hmm. are this. Young people are this. Uh, old people are this. Uh, you know, uh, uh rural people are this, urban people are this, uh, met, uh, suburban people are this. And so what ends up happening is that the politicians get to pretend that all they need to do is speak to like some weird subgroup of people to win. I just need to get, and you'll even hear it in the news, is <laughs> Joe Biden going to be able to get the 30 to 38 soccer mom in Midwest suburbs vote? What? Like, wh how on earth is that serving the needs of everyone? The mm -hmm. idea that this specific group of people 
all think the same way. They are, you know, a a a uni mind monolith, and that only they need to be spoken to until they're ignored in the next time. Because now, next time, we need to deal with uh, urban single parents between the income of fifty <laughs> and seventy. That like it's it's like this is absurd. This is mm -hmm. not. But but that's what happens when you commodify people, collectivize them, and say that their vote matters, but their needs don't. All that mm -hmm. matters is that you get them to vote for you and you do so most effectively by collectivizing them and making them hate everyone else. And, and that's oh, yeah. intentional. It's, it's an intentional thing, man. And, and I, I will say, until we have people recognize that it's actually the opposite in both directions, you're not a collective, you're an individual working with other individuals on things that you care about. But on the other side, you're not these different divided groups. You are right. a member of humanity who mm -hmm. wants better things. And even though we're not always going to agree, we recognize that we want better things, which goes back to the fact that since we're not always going to agree, instead of breaking into groups and constantly fighting each other over who's going to win and who's going to lose, the best way to do it is to decentralize it as locally as possible, preferably down to the individual, the family, the neighborhood, whenever possible, so that the actual stakeholders in a given situation are the only people involved in making a decision. You don't have to worry about someone on the other side of the state telling you out of the other side of the country in another state or on the other side of the state for that matter telling you how you should live because it's none of their business just like it's none of your business how they live as long as no one's hurting anyone so mm -hmm. that's and, and that also fixes the the divide that we have in this country all these different racial and ethnic and 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 gender divisions and 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 thoughts on subjects i mean there are people literally legitimately arguing right now they will mm -hmm. right now fight and and it's fine having a strong opinion on this subject but they will straight up right now not associate with you if your opinion on trans kids in sports uh is not the same as theirs now oh, i yeah. will tell you <laughs> i, I think that that's obviously if you've got a kid in sports whichever way you fall into it that's an important thing to you. And if you have someone who's trans in your life or you have someone who's been excluded in their life or whatever, that's gonna be an important thing to you. It's a perfect example of why decisions like that should be decided as locally as possible by the actual stakeholders in that situation as possible, instead of having someone who, you know, having my vote, some guy who has absolutely little to know about that subject, and maybe some other person who's watched a five minute YouTube video that just confirmed whatever their bias was on the subject, mm -hmm. their vote on that, having every bit as much weight as the vote of someone who's actually has a kid in that school, in that sport, who, who's going to be affected one way or another. We end divisions, unnecessary divisions, by allowing decisions to be made by the actual stakeholders, leaving everyone else who, whose business it has nothing to do with out of it, getting politicians out of it as much as possible, and putting power back in the hands of individual people working in their communities to solve the problems that we face. Something you said there, uh, and I think this is why it's so easy for me to talk across people from political I guess I want to call them affiliations, but differences in um, political views. Yeah. Some of the stuff you said, it's like, like it's about being an individual because we are individuals at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's yeah. the one thing when, when I used to hang out with these people back in the day, when I went to Middle Tennessee State University, they were all about everything had to be collective, 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 collective. Yeah. But I found myself at grips at times because I, 
I always had this thought in my mind that, but I don't think that way about, like I had, I share the overall sentiment, but yeah. I, at the end of the day, I don't feel like that's who I am. Like I can't agree with you on everything, but I felt like the way they framed it was that you basically had to believe everything they believed to be a part of the group. And if you did, absolutely, you were ostracized from the group. They didn't tell you that, but that's basically what I was being fed. And so it sounds like the people I talked to have great intentions, but it, it has to do with the way is the approach to getting there. Like we could agree on a lot of the same stuff, but th that could be the issue that separates them is that we have to do it together as opposed to no, we have to think for ourselves and then we do it yeah. a different way. Absolutely. I mean, the fact is no two people are going to truly agree a hundred percent of the time. Like that's just not real. Right. And it might just be on the margins, little things that don't really matter, but like, it just, it, it happens. And, and I understand for political purposes, you're going to have some grouping, some caucusing, but I would prefer for those things to be based on shared values than something like your, like a, a, an intrinsic identity thing identity, that you don't even exactly. have any control over. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so for example, and, and we'll use, we'll use um, black people as an example. Oh, please um, do congressional black caucus. <laughs> yeah. What, and, and perfect example of this uh, at both the state and federal levels, the CBCs that have been shed, set up should be called the CDBCs because I oh, know of black here. Republicans who have been elected to office and the mm -hmm. CBC or whatever version they call it in their state won't let them in because oh, they're not sure. Democrats. Now, For sure. I, I understand like historically, and obviously we don't have to, to go through the whole history. There are obvious historical reasons why there would, why a, a black people would be more likely than, than other folks to want to uh, form various political blocks. Like it makes sense, right? Brought here in chains, robbed of their identities, robbed of their culture, treated like cattle for hundreds of years, then put through this second class citizenship status. Very often only they had their own backs. Like, I, so I'm not gonna litigate that, I get it. At the end of the day, though, the side effect of that, the I guess the trauma of that is that now you have this situation where you're I mean, Joe Biden got away with saying, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. Oh, I know. <laughs> That's not like the man who said that he didn't want his children to have to deal with integration because he didn't want his kid. He didn't like racial integration. He said this as a senator in the 70s a or, or 80s, he, a racial yeah. jungle. This man, because of the, the structural setup of, of the, the black Democrat monolith, is that he gets to say uh, to what Charlemagne the God or, who, or on Breakfast Club or wherever he said it, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Mm -hmm. And he got away with that. Mm -hmm. And now he got a lower percentage of the black vote than, than any Democrats gotten in many. It was like in the, in the 70s or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is, Imagine saying to black people, being a white man with a history of things like the Joe Biden crime bill and get it, being able to look at the camera and say, hey, camera, you know what? If you don't vote for me, you're not a black guy. Mm -hmm. And then still getting that vote. That is conditioning. Now, there's now this subgroup, which is black conservatives. And I watch very often what happens there where there's a similar kind of grouping that's happening there where it's like, well, you're not a real black conservative if you think this. So mm -hmm. I'll watch black conservatives who will say, yeah, we really need to fix this criminal justice system. And they'll be told, you're sounding a lot like one of those like Democrats. Democrat. Mm -hmm. A real black conservative realizes that every problem happening in the black community is the fault of black people. It's like, no, actually, that's not real either. <laughs> like, that's that's not a no, definitely not. And now there may be a black person that thinks that, and that they're certainly entitled to, the, to that opinion. But this is 
a perfect example of what happens when everything is done by collectives. Mm -hmm. There are times when it makes sense to group together on shared values, shared geographical stuff. Like if you're, if you're working on an issue that's going to affect everyone in a given area or something like that, that makes sense. But when you collectivize everything out to this gigantic central, you know, you, you collectivize a giant landmass with 330 million people in it. You force them into association on, on all subjects, large and small, and make it where some person voting, and I'm using opposite, some person voting in South Carolina has every month as, a bit as much weight as how someone living in Alaska gets to live as that person in Alaska has. Mm -hmm. You're bound to have this, this breaking up of, of people into these groups, and, and, and politics becomes a war. Politics mm -hmm. no longer becomes about just appointing someone to oversee the day-to-day -day operations of the whatever. It becomes, if I don't win, those Alaskans are going to have to tell me <laughs> how to live. Or that, you know, those blacks or those whites or those poor people or those rich people or those. I mean, I've legit heard people say, if we don't vote X, whatever it is, the homeless are going to take over our community. Absolutely. <laughs> what? It's just, it, it's out of fear. It's absolutely, it's out of it is unfounded fear. fear. And it's just, there's like, there's no evidence of anything that they're saying. No. It's, no. it's just simply to um, confirm their own biases and just to keep, you know, that thought process to justify their own delusional thought processes. Um, it is, well, and have, it's fear. They've been conditioned into fear. Yeah. There's, there, guys, there was, there's one more thing I want to talk about. Well, I take the library to two questions that deal with sort of, I guess, um, the presidential realm before we move on to other matters. Sure. The sure. one question I have for you is sort of a burning thought I've had in my head because um, we, we know that Trump has a third party history, like in a previous life, that people don't like to talk about. The, another problem I see in the culture of the United States with politics is that you see it with celeb culture, everything becomes um combined where politicians celebrities almost you can be a celebrity and become a president like that right. only in this country i feel like that could be as effective as it could as it is because the way we're so dumbed down by the way information is given to us i feel like if it's a popular person you always have a chance because you're in the limelight my hypothetical will be something to disagree someone that had the notoriety of a trump what if he decided in 2024 to run as a third party candidate or independent? Would that actually help third party representation, in your opinion? And I know, like, I'm not a big fan of his at all. I know you're not, but I'm right. just saying, just bigger picture. Someone with that level of, of notoriety. Kind of and, yep. So we kind of have an answer to that because in 2020, Kanye West ran for president. He, he now goes by Ye, but he, he ran for president. Mm -hmm. Now, it's arguable how serious the one run was or if he even knew what he was getting into because he was only able to end up getting on, I think, like 11 state ballots. Yeah, that's it. And, uh, and, and uh, I think he got like 70,000 votes or something like that. So I don't know how serious of a run we could call that. But, you know, just being well-known and just having lots of money ain't going to cut it. Now, if you're well-known, you got lots of money. You got a platform that connects with people and you're ready to do the ground game either with a third party or as an independent candidate doing your own thing. You know, if you're willing to do it, you know, it, it could certainly make some waves and it could help things. 
but just being, you know, a, a notorious person or just being a well-known or even a beloved person. A, a lot of people talk about uh, Dwayne Johnson, the, the Rock, you know, oh, him running yeah, third yeah. party. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, first of all, I don't know why he'd do that. Because if he ran as a Republican or, or I guess more likely a Democrat, his, his chances of winning would be much higher. He seems like a bit of a political centrist anyway, so I don't know why he'd be running uh, third party. But if he did run third party... Sure, it would probably boost the donations and votes, but it can't just be, hey, I'm wealthy and well-known. It has to be, I'm, I'm wealthy and well-known. Also, here is my platform for, you know, I mean, this is running for president. This isn't like city council or something. Mm-hmm. And even city council, you should have a platform. But like, you're running for a national office. You need to have what you're running on, not just, hey, everyone likes me. You have to have a reason that you're running and what you're going to actually change about things. And then you have to have the ground game, especially if you are running third party. Because if you get that nomination or if you decide to run independent or whatever, you are going to have to spend millions of dollars and tens of thousands of man hours just to get on the ballot in each of those states. So mm-hmm. if you even want to be have a chance of actually being able to win, then you have to spend a tremendous amount of time and money. You got to have a, a serious ground game in all 50 states. Some of those states are nearly impossible. Put it this way. It wasn't until August actually either August or September until we were on all 50 state ballots Mm. in the 2020 race. And it wasn't because there was anything we were doing wrong. We were the only ones who got on all 50 state ballots besides the Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, Yeah, but they get on there automatically, basically. Like they Mm -hmm. just file a, pay like a filing fee in each state. It's or, you know, in in Tennessee, they get 25 signatures. Like it's, it's minimal, minimal effort to get out there. It's already done by the time they have their nominee in place. We got nominated in May and our, I mean, the first few events that I did traveling the country was to help get petition signatures just to even get on the ballot. So we only had like three months to just focus on the campaign. So no, I mean, it's certainly someone with with notoriety, someone who was trusted and loved and all of that, and someone who has a lot of money, that certainly helps, but they have to have all that that other stuff, or they're not even, it, it's going to be another Kanye, they're going to get, you know, 70,000 votes be on a few state ballots. And, and, and if that happens, it actually hurts the third party cause, because then what ends up happening is people go, Kanye West is a billionaire and he couldn't even get more than, you know, 70,000 mm. votes. Voting third party is a waste of time. So you have to, like, if you're going to do that and you're mm-hmm. going to drive all this attention because everyone knew he was running for office. If you're going to do that, you have to be serious about it. And you have to actually run to win or else, no, you actually would be hurting the cause. Yeah, it's um, it, it, it's a quagmire. Um, it, it's going to take some serious traction I think what we alluded to earlier about this psychological programming uh, has got to start from that person to person, people's social networks and everything else. And um, I've luckily got, I've been able to change a couple of people's minds, just that people I used to work with. um, They've kind of seen that light and they've gotten upset with what they've seen, the hypocrisy and everything else. I think you have to just keep showing that hypocrisy and, and just, start focusing on principles, you know, and, um, you know, really get back to like, what exactly do you stand for when you support someone, you know, what are your actual views instead of worrying about something else. And you have um, to be, you have to be a trusted figure talking mm-hmm. to these people yes you got to have the message down right you got to talk to them about principles you got to talk to them about the fact that you know you, you're you're saying lesser evil but you are 
you always lose if you keep voting for these folks. So who cares if you're throwing your vote away for a third party candidate? You're at least voting for something where you don't lose if they mm -hmm. won. Like change the narrative to if they win, you actually win for a change. It's not just your team winning, which means nothing. You know, I, I love some of the wording that's used on this. So it's like, well, yeah, it might not help you, but you're on the winning team. That's something a pimp says. Like that's <laughs> like that's that's not that's you know that literally. Well, when I make money, we're all making money, and you know, but if you know if you, if we have any problems, I'm gonna have to use the back of my hand. It's like, well, that's how the politicians are talking to you. Like it, it is politicians up, voters down. Like it's it is literally the exact same type of wording they, they make it a little bit prettier but it's the same mm -hmm. wording yeah if i win you're winning no actually i'm losing uh but i get to i guess associate with you meanwhile you're taking mm -hmm. everything from me it's literally a pimp prostitute relationship That's all it is. And, and, and and including the threat that they'll hurt you if you try to leave them like mm -hmm. it's the exact same thing so um but but one thing i wanted to say is that you in order to be able to have this message you have to be a trusted figure because if i just go if i didn't know you from anything and i hear you talking in a in a, like you know we're in a, a cafeteria together or something like that and i hear you talking i go well you know the problem is how you're voting and maybe if you stop voting that way blah, 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 you'd look at me like who the hell is this guy and then you you know probably change tables or tell me to go away or whatever <laughs> but like if we have a relationship or a rapport, I can say things and your cognitive defenses are down and we can have a conversation and vice versa. You can tell me things mm -hmm. and I'm actually going to listen to you because you're not just some guy yelling at me at the food court. So mm -hmm. I watch a lot of times people are like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to let everyone know that they have to stop voting for the duopoly. And I'm like, or, or you could make friends with people and mm -hmm. build relationships that have nothing to do with politics with people and then you can talk about this stuff and mm -hmm. that's good for you too because then you have friends and that's a good thing and so you know i i i <laughs> encourage people to develop relationships with people because it's good to develop relationships with people and then also you can talk with them about this stuff that's actually what we're doing with you are the power it's about building relationships with people who are being harmed by their local governments uh, uh helping them to organize to be able to to solve the problems that they're facing and then having a conversation with them about how this even happened in the first place and how we can work to try to keep it from ever happening to anyone else ever again but it starts with us meeting them where they are empathizing with them seeing how we can help them seeing how we can organize people to help them and then building out from there you have to build a relationship and then from there you know it's meet them where they are empathize with their concerns show them that you understand what they're going through then you can take them on the journey for how to fix it absolutely i had a question about um i don't know you probably know more about this than i do but i remember sure. the last i think it was the last presidential um cycle there was an actual third party debate that happened and um i don't see it on youtube anymore like i don't know if it's the 2016 but i'm almost sure there's the 2020 election where basically the Constitution Party candidate, Libertarian Party candidate, all the, the different minor parties and independents actually had a presidential debate. And it was and it was taken down like I don't see it anymore because I remember watching it a couple of times and I don't I can't even find it on YouTube anymore. Yeah. So it wasn't 2020 uh, because we weren't in any in any debates. It, it must have been 16. It, it was either 16 or 12 because I don't think Gary and Bill were in a debate in 2016 but they may have been in 2012 we actually had an opportunity to do in 2020 we had an opportunity to do a forum with the green party and the jorgensen campaign nixed it they said they didn't want to do it 
and okay. I, you know that that was their choice i didn't agree with it but that was their decision um but there was never any kind of like major debate between there was never anything on the table for like libertarian green party constitution or whatever and honestly man in 2020 we were the only other it was weird in 2020 there were three tiers there was the republicans and democrats in tier one there was the third party really just one third party the libertarian party that was on all 50 state ballots and then there were what I call the fourth parties in tier three. Like mm -hmm. there was no one else on, I think the, the most ballots that the Green Party got on was like 32. They got on 32 state ballots. Mm -hmm. And a few of those were with our attorneys fighting for them. For they didn't them. even have the wherewithal for that. They, uh, the Green Party almost crumbled, basically crumbled in the last election. The Constitution Party might've been on a handful. And then after that, it was Kanye, the, the birthday party or whatever. Like there was no, like we were the only true third party uh, mm -hmm. in 2020. So there really wasn't a lot to work with in terms of a third party debate or something like that. Um, it might've been 2012 or 2016. Well, the the video that I watched for sure had it was Rocky de la Fuente. It was also Howie Hawkins was in this debate. Don Blankenship was in this debate. It was okay. it was definitely a thing that happened. Well, that was 2020. That was okay. 2020. Okay, it, but it wouldn't have had. So then either they. So here's the thing, because I didn't even know about that. That means either they didn't reach out to us or they did reach out to the campaign and the and and uh, Joe's team told them no. Um, which unfortunately probably might have been the case because I know that when we tried to work out a forum with, with just the Green Party candidates, her team nixed it and said no. Um, I, you'd have to ask her why she did that. But uh, yeah, I, so if it, if it was Rocky De La Fuente, Howie Hawkins, and Dom Blankenship, that would have been 2020, mm -hmm. yeah. But and, we weren't in that. And I bring this up too because um, there's been a lot of stuff disappearing off of YouTube, yeah. um, especially when it comes from comes from an angle of dissent, like a lot of it goes down. We know that the censorship has gotten worse um, over the years with, with the algorithms and everything else. Oh yeah. Um, people self-censoring themselves. But I have to tell you, it's funny. Our first video was actually taken off YouTube for a while. The first one that me and you did together, absolutely insane, right? Why did they say why? They gave no reason whatsoever. It was basically, I took it as a shadow ban and I can go to I actually put my YouTube station finally back up on YouTube a month ago because I was so discouraged because I saw them doing stuff. That's like a couple of my videos don't have any views whatsoever, which doesn't That's even weird. make sense because the other ones have like hundreds of views and then these don't right. have any views whatsoever. But your video literally just went off. I, I had to double look when I checked the computer. I was like, where is Spike's video? I wasn't even on there anymore. And so I put it on, you know, social media and people were saying they're not surprised about what's going on with YouTube. That's, yeah. Because we didn't, I, I'm trying to remember what we talked about. There wasn't anything that could have even been construed. It wasn't controversial at all. It's absolutely ridiculous. We, I did an interview uh, on a radio station in Alabama. And uh, it, we got a, a, a warning on it and they, they took it down and, and said, you have a warning because this had uh, COVID misinformation. Oh, gosh. And so I appealed it saying, we never even talked about COVID. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't even on there. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I went back and watched the whole, I think it was like a 40 minute long interview. We never mentioned COVID. We never mentioned the, the shot. We never mentioned any of that that didn't come we, up we talked about we briefly mentioned it in hours the first one but it was like 20 seconds in passing uh, and yeah, like, and, and, yeah. And, and the thing is like 
you know, uh, it was uh, it, we in that interview we talked about foreign policy. Uh, th this uh, someone that was with me was running for Congress. We talked about his congressional run, uh, local Alabama issues where they mostly talked, and I kind of gave thirty thousand foot view talk about it because I, I, you know, I'm not in Alabama. Um, but we didn't talk about. And it certainly there was no misinformation because there was no information. We didn't talk about it. So, I mean, it's it's no, but it, it's not surprising because uh, we saw that in 2020 as well. There was a, we called it the zuckening. So in uh, in in around October of 2020, something oh, yeah. like 20,000 prominent libertarians lost their access and it was restored yeah. two days after the election. For sure. And and I, I actually got off of Facebook because of that. Um. And my friends thought I was a crazy person because um, they were just like, Kiko, how can you not support one of these duopoly people? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I was yeah. basically getting threatened, like, you better vote for the blue side. And I just got off of Facebook. Luckily, I was defending my dissertation and finishing up with that. And yeah. so I had an excuse to get off social media. But that was a terrible time to just, like, not want to kiss the duopoly's ass. <laughs> so, well, it was. Uh, and what's wild is you're in Tennessee, right? Uh-huh. Okay, your vote does if if you're the Republicans are going to walk away with it there. Exactly. Like, that was the until there are major cultural changes with a new party or or with the Democrats or whatever. The Demo what, Republicans are. It's like South Carolina. It's the same thing. Like you know, anyone who's like, well, I have to vote for Biden to stop Trump. If you're in all but a handful of states. Your vote, does, you're already throwing your vote away because exactly. it's already so heavily already Republican or, or Democrat. It's already predetermined. That's why they do that whole like, you know, Biden has to reach, you know, 32 year old soccer moms with with one pit bull and one chihuahua <laughs> in uh, in one of these four neighborhoods in, uh, you know, eastern Ohio. It's like it, because it comes down to that mm -hmm. because everything else is already baked into the cake that, you know, if you're in Tennessee, it really doesn't matter how you vote uh, uh, until until there's been some major changes, which is another reason why I'm less and less involved in the electoral politics and I'm more and more involved in helping people. Here's my other problem, Kiko. It is an incredible position of privilege for me to say, I'm going to focus on winning elections that we can't win while people are suffering right now. Mm -hmm. There are people who are going to be killed by out of control police officers this year. There are people who are going to be uh, arrested on trumped up charges that everyone knows they didn't commit because a local city council person doesn't like them this year. There are going to be people whose homes and properties are going to be stolen by their local governments using eminent domain abuse this year. And mm -hmm. so for me to sit here and go, well, I'd love to help with that. But first, I need to make sure that libertarians get elected in 2024 for the White House, knowing full well we've gotten nowhere near that. Not only is it the height of privilege, it's the height of delusion. Because long before anyone is going to vote for us to go to the White House or the governor's mansion, for that matter, long before any of that has to happen, they have to see how our ideas work. And the best way we can do that is by helping people now with solutions that we can implement now and organizational tools that we can use now in their backyard where it matters most in the first place. And when mm -hmm. we do that, not 
not only are we helping people now and not waiting for some utopian libertarian future, not only are we helping people now, not only are we bringing people into the movement and getting them organized, but we change the narrative from you can't win to we do win. And when we win, you win. Now let's move even further up. Oh, I love that. Um, that kind of answered the question that I had. It, it seems like that's the direction you were going in. You you definitely seem to be way more focused on grassroots and less on electoral Yeah, that's politics. all I care about that's right now. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I'll talk about the other issues. I'll go on, you know, I go on cable news and stuff and talk about, uh, you know, what's happening with Biden or what's happening with Trump or what's happening with uh, Ukraine or any, I like I'll I'll give my I'm I'm a professional talker I'll talk about anything and I got opinions I got opinions out the wazoo I'll talk about anything but when it comes to like what wakes me up in the morning what what uh, what I'm raising money for what I'm doing you know actually spending my time traveling to it's all about grassroots it's all about people that are being harmed right now we we just heard about a, a guy that we're working with and I'll give more details in the future because we're still vetting it but basically uh it, he has a local judge that uh, uh, some his friends who are um, developers, they want this guy's property. And so they're trying to condemn it. The city council, the zoning board, everyone else has come out and said this guy is completely complying with everything. He is not, you know, he's not breaking any laws. He's not doing anything wrong. Leave him alone. The judge is still trying to push through a condemnation so they can seize his property and sell it to his buddies, the developers. This is just blatant mm. out in front. Everyone's watching it happen. They're stealing his land legally. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's probably illegal, but they're using the legal process to do it to try to make it look legit. I care more about organizing to help that guy and his family not lose their land and having that judge and those developers held accountable for what they they're doing than you know some tilted the windmill for you know running for an office that we have no shot in hell of winning and not only that when I help people like that that guy and everyone in that community who sees what we do think I want to find out more about them. Mm And, and, and the bottom line, again, we're nonpartisan. We have Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Independents, everything. So it's not about a political party. It's about changing the mindset. It's about opening people's consciousness to the fact that it's not about Republicans or Democrats. It's not about white or black. It's not even about rich or poor. It's about too few people having too much power mm-hmm. over things that they never even should have had a say in. And that we fix that by getting into positions of power if necessary, but only to dismantle those power structures and put the power back in the hands of the people. Decentralizing power, relying on individual human autonomy, respect for each other as human beings, and and getting these powerful cronies and these cynical pandering politicians out of the uh, out of the equation as much as possible. I like it. I like it. Um, I'm. Like I said, I've warmed up way more to the idea of libertarianism. And honestly, I am a libertarian. It's just that um, it's it's such a weird situation because like all these things, just like with the with the whole the VAX and everything else, I was all about like let the person decide themselves. Like I'm like that on most things. But then there's some things where when it comes to like health, I still hold on to like I think everyone should have right to to healthcare, but but for a lot of things, I'm just like you. Sh- you can own as many guns as you want. Like I'm pretty libertarian about. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just like a few issues where I'm, I'm still sort of I guess hesitant or stubborn about it. 
And that and that's fine. That's another thing is that, you know, we often in the libertarian movement, we have these purity tests. It's like if you oh, don't believe yeah. <laughs> if, and this isn't just libertarians, this is in general, oh, these yeah. groups, the way that they cope with the fact that they have no ability to actually affect change on a policy level is they is they, you know, they nest and they go, oh, if anyone wants to join us, they better be 100 percent behind us. Like, yeah, that's a great way to grow. So here's my way of dealing with that. As libertarians, when it comes to healthcare, this is what we believe. If you don't believe that, that's fine. You're you're you aren't libertarian on that subject. Okay, let's work together on what we do agree with. Now, I can sit here and talk with you about how we probably agree on healthcare more than we disagree. We agree that the cost of healthcare is absolutely absurd, oh, and yeah. that you know the problem is that government has gained the system to benefit multi-trillion-dollar businesses and what what I call a healthcare industrial complex, and that there's a lot that needs to be done just to get government regulations and red tape and protection for multi-billion dollar, multi-trillion dollar industries out of it so that the costs go down, whether we go to a uh, a, a single payer system or, you know, a more the current system we have or, you know, a more libertarian type system, we at least need to get the cost down. And there are real ways that we can do that. But here's the thing, even if we we, we can have that conversation, but the beauty of what we're doing with you are the power is I actually, when it comes to what we're working on, I don't care what you think about anything except this subject. Mm -hmm. So if you agree with me that, for example, the if the if there's an accusation that the police have been have wrongfully arrested and assaulted someone, and there's body cam footage, that footage should be released. And if the uh, if the DA and the police department are fighting in court to keep the body cam footage from being released that's pretty suspect and makes mm -hmm. us want to have it released even more. If you agree with me on that, then let's work together on that. Mm -hmm. And we can discuss the other things. We can argue, we can disagree. We can join other groups and fight against each other on those things. That's great. That's fine. Let's work together on this. And the beauty of that is, first of all, the more that we're working together, the more that I can talk with you about my ideas, you can talk with me mm -hmm. about your ideas, and we can find some common ground there. But even That's if that never happens, ground. worst case scenario, I've just leveraged a political opponent to work together on something that we actually agree on. Mm -hmm. Now, how, how you talk about ending divisiveness, what if everyone just worked together on things that they agreed on and focused on that? we get a lot more done because on most things, there's a lot of consensus, right? Okay, so uh, this 100%. is another thing behind what we're doing is if you agree with us on this issue, let's work on that issue. You disagree with us on healthcare, you disagree with us on guns, you disagree with us on this other cause we're working on. All right, that's fine. Don't work with us on that. Let's work together on this where we work together. And, and I, I have a phrase that I like to use. The more you can bring someone into your orbit, the more you can affect them with your gravity. The yeah, more you can yeah, I like build... That. The more you can build a rapport with people, the more you can find common ground. And some people look at that as, oh, I'm going to bring them into my movement. And they're going to they're going to be convinced of everything I have to say. Not necessarily. You might actually learn something. You know, I I I know that we're everyone watching this. We've all reached our perfect level of understanding. There's nothing that we could ever learn more than what we already know in this very moment. We've all reached our final form. There's no growth to happen. And frankly, uh, if anything, it's just downhill from here. We have reached perfect level of salience and understanding in all things. But for most people, not us, but for most people, they still have some learning to do. So when they meet other people, then they'll they'll learn from that. Not us, though. We're, we're good. Good. We're, we're already at perfect understanding. <laughs> it's something you said 
there. I saw a post from you a few days ago, and I was like, I have to ask him about this when I interview him. Okay. <laughs> you asked, you talked about there's this and just one more question, and then we'll go because I know you got sure. places to go out there too. You talked about the euthanasia rate in Canada is like so much higher than the suicide rate. Can you elaborate on that post that you mentioned? Yes. So that, that uh, was like, gosh, that was eye opening when you said that. So Canada introduced this is a healthcare thing. Uh -huh. Canada introduced uh, legalized euthanasia um, for a, a, a few a few years ago. Now, uh, I forget how many I, it might have been two or four or something like that. They introduced it um, uh, nationwide. Um, and, and I will say this, I, I believe that people should be able to do with their lives what they want. I, I do not. So, so I, and I think there are a lot of people who are truly suffering, uh, and who are in palliative care. And if they want to, if they say, Hey, you know what, instead of putting me on morphine for the next five months, while I basically drift into a coma, I would just like to end it now. I think that they should have that right to do that. The problem is in Canada, they've now reached a situation where roughly somewhere between three and a half and four percent of all Canadians are dying of being euthanized. That doesn't include the ones who commit suicide at home. Mm -hmm. And that euthanasia rate, which about 10,000 Canadians every year, if you if, if you do per capita, their euthanization rate is more than double the U.S. suicide rate. Again, that doesn't include wow. Canadian suicides. If you factor that in, it's even more than, than that. I don't believe that is as a natural result of patients saying, you know what, you know, Doc, uh, you know, if I don't have any other options, then I'd rather just, I'd rather just, you know, move on. I, I believe, and, and we've seen some anecdotal stories of this, people who are asking for help are being told, well, why don't you just kill yourself instead? By doctors, That's by medical right. systems. They're getting letters. There was one that I shared. It was a Paralympian who was mm -hmm. uh, expressing frustration that she was having to wait a long time for a surgery or an, a, a prosthetic or something. And they said, well, have you considered euthanasia? Yeah, I saw that on there. That was and, when I saw that. And here's why that happens. When government is in charge of providing a service you now have the most bloated unorganized structurally deficient organization on earth a centrally planned monopoly on violence that is uh enforced with violence and threats of violence and financed through theft it's like the worst way to run an organization ever it's the, there are no incentives built in there's no feedback loop there it's it's like if you wanted to create an organization that would suck as much as possible it would be government mm -hmm. you're putting them in charge of providing a service and making them a monopoly of that service it is going to become prohibitively expensive the cost is going to go up and the supply of it is going to go down so in Canada, they have free health care. Well, it's not right. free. It's paid by the taxpayer. So their taxes are through the roof. Their debt is even higher than here in the U.S. per capita. And more and as importantly or more importantly, the supply is going down. They're mm -hmm. having to ration it. So now that they have this ability to just euthanize people, a lot of people that are dealing with things like mental health issues, frustration over having to wait months and years for procedures to be approved, they're being told, hey, you can just kill yourself. Now, oh, imagine wow. if you're in, a, especially imagine someone who's in a mental health situation mm -hmm. being told. Now, imagine you go to a doctor, you go to a, a mental health professional, and you say, I'm having thoughts of suicide. And they go, 
all right, well, here's what here here's we can we can we can uh, schedule you in next week. That's crazy. Yeah, no. Yeah. That's that's the problem. Yeah, because yeah, it's definitely a situation where that we definitely don't need to add more momentum to that because it's already no. in such a crisis as it is. The mental health. No. Problem. Look, I have one more thing before we go. Sure, sure, and sure. I knew you attended the October eighth um, Julian Assange event in Washington yes. D.C. Yeah. And um, I was so happy when I saw you on the um, the list of guests because I didn't know if you were going to be on the guest list or not. I'd been following yeah. it pretty closely through Consortium News. Um, I talked to some of the organizers of that event. They were actually on my pod, um, two local Boston um, Assange people who um, this is their issue is talking about Julian Assange. Yeah. Um, I want to know how were you, uh, what was your feel about the different groups that were there because i know they weren't the same types of people there oh it was incredible and um did you feel like that the organization was 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 it well organized or was there some conflicts of interest what so i i don't want to speak on that other than to say the event itself went well but i don't know enough about the internal workings to know if there was anything like that i know that Everything that was handled from my end went smoothly. I had been invited. Uh, we had to have some back and forth because I, I was speaking at another event, but it turned out the other event I was speaking at was only about two and a half or about two hours away. So we organized to have someone we, we were able to, to get for another person who was at the same event I was at. We said, well, if he can speak, to, if he can be there too. And then, and then, so he drove me and uh, the event itself went very well. There was uh, well over a thousand people there uh, and we were competing with the women's March. So it was going to, you know, right. it was, and we were still doing very well, but in terms of like internal, co- I, I wouldn't even know if there was anything like that, but I will say here, I do want to speak on the mix of people that was there. Uh-huh. I miss the anti-war left. You know, it used to be, that you had two main groups of people that were just explicitly anti-war and anti-imperialism. And that was libertarians and leftists. And then at some point, the military industrial complex and the crony complex that runs this country was able to inject just enough weird new so-called woke identity politics Uh that they were able to peel off a lot of progressives and leftists into somehow supporting the military industrial complex or at least just being not really caring much about it one way Mm -hmm. or another and so it started with the election of barack obama where suddenly it was the media was not going to cover anti-war protests anymore that wasn't a thing anymore and it has just continued on when donald trump was when Donald Trump for the first couple years of his presidency was kind of mildly anti-war, mm-hmm. uh, they, you know, they, they just, they, you know, it was not okay to be a, a, against war. It's funny because then the, uh, M, the military industrial complex uh, figured out that they could get Trump to support war if they could uh, say that, you know, the the other leaders thought he was a, a bitch or something like i mean they, they, they basically once they figured out they could just play to his, his fragile ego they got him to side with them too but but the point is i miss i missed i was one of there was a a, a relatively decent sized libertarian contingent there maybe a couple dozen people that were libertarian everyone else there was on the left you know bro, bernie types bernie bro types uh-huh. green party people jill stein was there the the 2016 mm-hmm. uh green party candidate she gave a great speech uh um ben cohen uh the guy that ben started and jerry's, ben and jerry's. Mm-hmm. he's on the left uh straight up communists were there uh you yeah. know uh socialists all across the spectrum of of the le- mostly of the left were all there under a common uh, under a common banner 
we should not, you know, uh, uh, journalism is never a crime. We should be supporting journalists and the whistleblowers who provide them with information. And we need to do everything we can to oppose the military industrial complex and imperialism from any country, including our own. And uh, I loved it, man. Like I was there and I saw people and they're wearing, you know, healthcare as a right or, or, you know, stop climate change and all this other, like whatever. And I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is, you know, this is good stuff. Like I don't have, again, the principle of, I don't have to agree with you on anything other than what we're working on together. Exactly. If you're not like, I mean, obviously there are some, except I'm not going to work with Nazis, right? Like I'm not going to work with like, the Westboro Baptist Church because we agree on like if, because we agree on property taxes or something like that. Like I mean, there's there's going to be some limits, but generally speaking, if if we agree strongly on this issue, then I, I don't I don't care if you're a if you're a Bernie bro or a, a you know a Green Party person. In fact, Green and the Green Party and Libertarian Party, I think seventy percent of our platforms are identical or something mm-hmm. like that. It's pretty high. Um, so, I mean, no, I was thrilled to see such a broad group of people. I, I felt like it was well-organized. Uh, and the, uh, you know, we did the walk around the block and everything. They had a big banner that we were carrying and all that. I thought it was great. You know, we each got uh, about three minutes to talk. I uh, I loved it. I loved every bit of it. I was, I was honored to be invited. I thought it was great. Any kind of internal inside baseball stuff, I don't even, I, I didn't, I, would, I wasn't involved in it to even know, so. That's absolutely great. That's why I want to hear you answer all my questions I had about that event, um, because I was there. I got to interview some of the organizers, and that makes me feel good that there was, and or that there is coalition building potential in oh, this yeah, country. Oh yeah, definitely. There definitely and, was. Yeah. Yeah, especially when it comes to this issue about Julian Assange. But Spike, um, I know that people can reach you, but what's mm-hmm. the most direct way to reach you if someone had a question, a viewer or a listener? Sure. So uh, you can find me on all social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok for the kids. I'm uh, I'm on pretty much everything. Uh, my website is spikecohen.com. Uh, you can keep up with events that I'm going to be going to uh, there. I'm pretty much done for the year, but starting next year, I already got some stuff down uh, being planned. Um, you can follow me there. Um, and if you want to become a part of the, the fastest growing grassroots movement to spread human liberty across America, uh, then I invite you to join us at You Are The Power. Our website is youarethepower.net. Uh, and uh, membership is free. We'd love to have you be a part of it. And uh, yeah, just keep fighting for liberty. And um, like, I'm pretty easy to find. The easiest way to find me, if, if you ever get lost, you forget my website or whatever, just go to the ATF's Facebook page and just look for their newest post and you'll see me there cyberbullying them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Spike, you have a new member of them. Um, you are the power. Like, I'll definitely be a part of that. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Just looking at checking it out and everything just based cool. on everything you told me about it. But I appreciate you again being with us today. Uh, good afternoon and good evening, beautiful people. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.